0: funding for Elwood City limits is provided by uh I don't know uh, me I guess it doesn't really cost much and from viewers like you, thank you my free time that's what
1: funds us. <laughs>
0: Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of Elwood City Limits. This is the uh, episodic Arthur podcast where we talk about the 1990s to current PBS children's show. Arthur, why it is that we love it, what we love about it. And, of course, what you have to say as well, perhaps eventually. My name's Will Young. Joining me is my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Hey, Lucas. Hello! So, we have got ourselves another episode today, as we always do. Before we get started, though, I just want to make a quick note that, uh, well, when we started last week, we uh, were kind of poking around in the dark, seeing what we could do. And now, it seems more and more it's becoming... A little bit more like an actual podcast. So, seems like a concrete idea forming. mm -hmm. So, to that end, we now have an email where you can contact us. That's right. If you have any thoughts about the episode that we're watching, if you have any thoughts about the episode you're listening to right now, uh, comments, feedback, criticism. If you have anything you want to send us, uh, fan art, suggestions, uh, corrections, your, corrections, your interpretation of the episode, the email address is ElwoodCityLimits at gmail That's ElwoodCityLimits at gmail So today we've got ourselves. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it too much, but I really have to say this was a fantastic pair of episodes. And I'm really excited to talk about them. We we managed to keep ourselves uh, fresh from each other's thoughts, but we kind of are seems we both have that uh, that kind of excitement.
1: Mm-hmm. I I liked one a little bit more than the other, mm-hmm. but uh, I definitely found these episodes more consistently entertaining than last
0: week's. Sure, As, I, and
1: not to say I didn't like last week's episode, but
0: mm-hmm. I like these a lot. So we start off. This is the this is again a section or a sectioned uh, episode, as all Arthur ones are. It's Arthur and the real Mister Ratburn and Arthur's spelling trouble. So we're going to get started with. Arthur and the real Mr. Ratburn. Of course, you mentioned last in last week's podcast that uh, Mr. Ratburn is your favorite character, so this must have been exciting for you in that sense.
1: Yeah, this episode really solidified in my mind that uh, just as the age I am now, looking back, I really like the adult characters in Arthur. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find them a lot more entertaining sometimes than I do the group of kids, mm-hmm. and that just might be where I am at personally, but I also... Like, Mr. Rapper and I find his whole shtick hilarious, which we'll get into in a second.
0: I was feeling the same thing, and I kind of mentioned to you, I'm really interested to get into more of the adult characters, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit as we go along. So Arthur and the real Mr. Ratburn. Of course, in the first episode, Mr. Ratburn kind of had a, a debut. So this is a little bit uh, turning back the clock as well to when uh, the idea of Mr. Ratburn was still a little scary. Uh, so the episode starts out, the kids are waiting outside the principal's office for their uh wh- their class assignments, where they're going to be put. And this, this itself was a blast from the past. Do you remember... Teachers' list. Do you remember being sectioned into classes? So in I elementary was school?
1: thinking really hard about this because I kind of didn't, uh, and I think what confused me is our teachers' list were always posted the year before, mm. not the year of. So, for instance, right before summer vacation started, that's when you would figure out which teacher you would have for the next year. Oh. So it came off as strange to me that they would show up to school not knowing even where they were going for okay. that year.
0: It must be it must be uh, either a regional or a district thing because I definitely. Did did it the Arthur way of you would come to school on the first day and you would figure out where which teacher you had. In fact, that's like one of my one of my lasting kind of bad memories of junior high school was when getting separated into grade nine. Mm-hmm. And I remember that year it was done in the auditorium, which it normally wasn't. And you know, you could, I had the, my group of friends at that point, maybe like five <laughs> or six of them, and maybe you see you already see where this is going with this. So in front of everybody. This teacher will have this person, this person, oh, this wow. person. Oh wow!
1: It was like a draft.
0: Yes, it what You know what it got? It was like it a was draft. It like
1: all your friends were going to Raw, you were going to SmackDown.
0: <laughs> yes, they were. Pick, they were picking uh, the uh, so like Miss uh, Miss O'Brien's class got number one in the draft pick. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome though if teachers could like trade? Like oh, if it was no. like a sports draft, I
1: think you, that'd be terrible. I think that would obliterate some kid's <laughs> self esteem. I think that would be I, well. They like, wouldn't.
0: They wouldn't make it. They, like if they, if that's what they did. If and maybe they already do. Maybe elementary teachers like trade. Like I'll give you this. I'll give you this good kid for like a good kid and an okay one.
1: I guess I always assumed it was completely random, but maybe I don't know what's going on in that teachers' lounge. In
0: likelihood, it probably is. I doubt that. I mean, and no disrespect to elementary or teachers in general. My mother's a teacher, and I'll get into that a little bit. Later, but um, I don't imagine that they care all that much, and especially because they probably don't know the kids. Oh, you don't? They- I
1: guess I I guess it differs from elementary school to junior high. Sure, I feel like junior high teachers have an intimate knowledge of what's <laughs> going on with their kids, whereas in elementary school, most kids at that point. I know personally. I don't think I had much of a personality besides annoying at sure. that point in my life. Well, so. and th-
0: and at that point, they probably know like the problem kids would be my guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know if you're a, if you're a, a teacher. If you're a teacher listening to this podcast, uh, email elwoodcitylimits@gmail.com. Do you draft your kids? Is there Are there top roster picks? (laughs) Maybe I was one. Uh, So teacher's list, that was a bit of a blast. Anyway, sorry to uh, close the gap on that story. So I was in the auditorium. uh, All my friends were with me. And, like, sequentially, every single one of my close friends got called into the class that wasn't mine. And, like, grade 9 was not a great grade uh, for me school-wise in terms of just, like, I had no friends in my class. And that's just – it was a real bummer. And then, like, just to have that happen was a – uh, not a great memory, but the teacher's list itself was uh, kind of a neat little blast from the past. Forgot that I did that because, of course, once you get in high school, it's like different teachers for different classes. And, of course, university. Forget about it. Who cares? Um, so they so, are they okay. are uh, a possibility of being drafted into onto three brands here. So it's uh, <laughs> Mrs., Mrs. Sweetwater, who is nice. Mrs. Fink, she's fun. Is she the one who had the hip-hop dance class? Yes. Okay, okay. Who apparently every day is hip-hop dance class for Mrs. Wayne. Hey, I'm all about that. Y- y- okay, well, okay, well, I'll talk about that later. And <laughs> the one that you definitely don't want, Mr. Ratburn. Right. The toughest, the scariest teacher in the whole school. No, the whole world. No, the whole history of the world. <laughs> That's right, Genghis
1: Khan, no slouch compared to <laughs> Mr. Rappern. Doesn't matter what point in history you were, whether it was BCE, Mussolini, he, yeah. get out of oh, here, Rappern. Um, so all these kids are obviously extremely terrified. They're on pins and needles trying to figure out where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they going to be one of the two fun options, or are they going to be with the Mr. Rappern, whose uh, his history speaks for itself, basically. Um, for some reason and so all these kids are in such anticipation and then the principal mr haney another one of the characters where when he comes up again he's another one of my favorite characters Uh, mr haney's about to post the list and he goes oh i forgot attack and so he kind of fakes out the kids yeah
0: extending their uh extending their anticipation and then finally the list comes out and it's arthur we're in the rats class and then everybody just starts screaming (laughs) Shows a disturbing, like Nosferatu
1: German expressionist silhouette of Mister and against the wall. I appreciate like that. like
0: I appreciate that reference.
1: Like a silent film, you know, like one of those early ho- silent horror films. Yeah,
0: he's got like really long nails, and uh, like he's kind of drooling from his teeth. And then so they they scream into the title card. My favorite part of it is <laughs> like they're all screaming, and Binky just takes a dive. He just faints. Oh, I didn't even notice. That. It's like you see that the at the left at the left side of the screen is that they're all screaming (laughs) binky starts screaming and then just pitches over it's awesome Um, like that always that always makes me laugh of when like people are reacting in a group and somebody's reaction is just to just drop it's so funny
1: it also, the music, uh, it does that sting that yes. Arthur uses a lot where it's, they're like, dun, dun, dun. It's not quite that. It's a different yeah, key. Like, but they get a lot of mileage out of that one uh, music sting.
0: Different from the, uh, the opera, the more like the the keyboard stings of the last episode. This one is like full-on violin, like, well, d- well uh, va- vampiric almost, which is a, sort of a theme of the episode. Uh, this is one of my favorite title cards that we fade into, and it's the one where Buster walks up, uh, opens his mouth and then some kind of big noise comes out and then Arthur kind of chuckles my favorite one and it still kind of makes me laugh is is and I believe it's somewhere in the season is that where he comes up and he just like burps that one's really, that one's really Buster funny Buster
1: body humor is always funny it's, it's like a go to uh, yeah when he it's so ridiculous the way he opens his mouth because his head gets like three <laughs> sizes too large it's very cartoonish yeah. like
0: there's a whole other side to his face so we so we fade back, and funny enough, they're still screaming. And so for the next uh, thirty seconds or so, it's a good long bit, and it's really funny. Like in retrospect, of just uh, pretty much the main characters, you know, Francine, Buster, Arthur, the Brain, just all with their head, like their eyes open just chanting rat burn rat burn and just it's, like shell I, shocks i wrote
1: down they're so disturbed they're speaking in tongues they're basically <laughs> repeating the words rat burn it reminded me of like i don't know the
0: cthulhu mythos
1: how no no hear me out
0: i'm no i'm listening i like it how Go on. like
1: in um, i think it's called the Mountains of Madness. In the, or at, yeah,
0: in the uh, Mountains of Madness, I believe.
1: A common theme in, like, the Cthulhu mythos is, like, people will see something, and the mere act of seeing it will drive them, drive insane. them insane. Like, someone gets just a glimpse of Cthulhu out the win- airplane window, and he's crazy for the rest of his life. Mm. This was very similar, where uh, <laughs> they were so shell-shocked from hearing Mr. Ratburn was going to be their teacher, it literally drove them to madness. <laughs> they can only repeat Ratburn. Uh, they're missing out this ball game, this kickball game, because they so... So oblivious, their whole worldview has been crushed by the fact that they're gonna have Mr. Rapper as Mis- a teacher.
0: Mr. Rapper, apparently, a great old one, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're incredibly intimidated by the fact that they love Mr. Rapper and so they turn to somebody who had him before, who is uh, Prunella, who I who was in the first episode as, as one of the kind of uh, Muffy's uh, uh, entourage, and now she is kind of one of the older kids she's in the 4th grade i believe and so you know she she says uh, i love the line uh um what is she, what does she say it's something it's something like uh you know it's like, is the rat mean? Does a bull fight? <laughs> that is a great line. Uh, it's like, so we go into several uh, imaginations about what exactly Ratburn is like. And so the first one is he eats nails for breakfast without milk.
1: I want to talk about this. Yes. Because uh, this was one of the things where when I saw it, I didn't quite remember this whole episode as a whole, mm-hmm. but this image is so burned into my brain. It's one of my go-to Arthur memories mm-hmm. is the dream sequence where Mr. Ratburn is eating these nails, no milk, that's very very important. A lot of people forget about the no milk, but that's very important. He's eating these nails with no milk. He's kind of a uh, more grotesque vision of Mr. Rapper, and he's got pointier teeth. He's kind of got angrier eyes. Uh, And the funniest part of the whole gag is there's one screw in his bowl of nails, and he doesn't want this screw. He spits it out, but then he eats a spoon.
0: Which which was completely baffling to me. And of course, (laughs) the child's imagination doesn't have to make sense, but just like, you know, eating plenty of nails and I remember when seeing this as a kid, the fact that they said nails without milk made me think of, like, breakfast cereal. And so I'm like— Well, know. that's the goof because he's well, it, just got a, bo- uh, well, a box of it. Well, exactly. But I remember seeing that as a kid and being like, I don't know. Those nails actually look pretty good. <laughs> so, like, maybe there's a breakfast cereal called nails. And, uh, yeah, and so he takes out a big, long screw, and for some reason he can't eat that. But then he just <laughs> eats the spoon. And I'm like, what was wrong with the screw? I don't get it. Did you find it weird how— they call him the rat. Like, I get it that he's a
1: literal rat, but it's so weird because I'm so used to hearing uh, calling someone a rat with the connotation of like, like on mob wives, where people will be insulting and mm. screaming at each other. It's like you're a rat, you're a freaking rat. Like, it was so weird to me to see this kids' show where they're like, "Oh, the
0: rat." It just seemed like a little off kilter in retrospect. Yeah, there's like I think there's a couple more like um, kind of animal. I want to maybe inconsistencies is the word, but and that'll be a further theme that we can tackle at some point in Arthur, just kind of the representation of uh, animals as kind of the human characters. But uh, no, actually, I I kind of didn't notice that. But now that you mention it, it rings a bell a little bit. Uh, her second one I love is just like, make sure not to answer any questions wrong or he'll send you to death row, which Arthur picks up on this was so crazy. It was, this my, was so my, nuts. My favorite part of it is, is the subtext of it. It's like, make sure you don't answer any questions wrong or he'll kill you.
1: Yeah. Lethal injection. Like <laughs> death row is such a serious adult concept. And as a kid, I never picked up on this. I just thought, Oh, he'll send Arthur to jail. That's the scary idea. Sure. Cause they don't really make any allusions to if Arthur, after Arthur spends his time at this jail, he's also going to Hang or you know be put up to yeah. a firing wall, but yeah. that's what death row means. It means you die at the end. Yeah, like, and, of course,
0: and of course it's just like, well, to what end? He's still <laughs> asking questions. It's like he's gonna die. What do you care? And 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 it's just like, man, Oz must have been really popular back in the nineties.
1: I, oh, I guess that's what the, the
0: I, connection I, is. I don't know, but it's just like so. You know, Arthur's imagining himself in a jail cell and. Ratburn's still asking him questions while he's going to be killed, I guess. Uh, I just I just kind of thought that subtext was funny. And then Prunella posits that he is a vampire with hypnotic powers. And, of course, this captures Buster's imagination, more obsessed with the paranormal. And I love the zoom in on his face because it looks like his brain is cracking. <laughs> like you get his eyes wide, his mouth agape, and it's just like, oh, no, I can't handle this information.
1: The other two I was okay with, Eating Nails and being death. literally put to death. <laughs> and my my favorite part about this is because they're kind of laying it out like an escalating list, right? It's like, okay, eating nails, that's pretty creepy. Being put to death, that's horrible. But the worst thing of all is he uses his mind control powers to make them repeat the phrase, we do not oh, like Recess. recess. And losing his free will to love recess, mm-hmm. this is the thing that terrifies
0: Buster the most. We were still in a kids' rule world back in 1996, so give me give me recess or give me death, I guess is the the feeling. Which might
1: very literally be your choices with their imagination, of <laughs> Mister Rapper. <laughs>
0: So we get to the first day of school, finally, and, you know, the kids are bemoaning the fact that they're not with Miss Sweetwater or uh, Mrs. Fink. And uh, I wanted to make mention here because Miss Mrs. Sweetwater kind of comes back a little bit here and there as, like, a really background character uh, in the school. Mrs. Fink, never seen again. Like, who who is she? And we i we didn't mention before that kind of the thing they used to represent them is just like of course they said Arthur says, Mrs. Sweetwater, she's nice, and you can see her in their classes like handing out cookies and like whole buckets of popcorn,
1: yeah, complete like, like movie, movies, theater movie theater popcorn
0: popcorn, and Mrs. Fink is fun because she like has the boom box on and is leading her kids in some kind of uh uh, fun hip-hop dance well wow. I have
1: the lyrics to the the song because she's singing this yes. she's performing the song and the kids are doing the motions they also have little tiny sweatsuits apparently she handed out sweatsuits oh really for I didn't notice that okay. hip hop dance yeah and mrs Fink is leading them uh, and it goes a little bit like this welcome to the first day of school school
0: is cool school is cool guess we are going to really really hammer that home real trap <laughs> <shit>. like that's <laughs> It's a DJ Premier
1: production. Exclusive. Exclusive. Welcome to the first day of school. School is cool. School, school is, is cool. cool. Mrs. Fink, she got bars. <laughs>
0: um, but then, of course, it goes to Mr. Radburn, who uh, uh, is very p- polite. Like He's very he's very nice. Like Nothing nothing kind of off-putting about him. The only thing immediately off-putting is that he starts them off with a two-minute math quiz to see what they learned from second grade. And to be honest with you, like, obviously as a kid, it was just like, oh, Mr. Ratburn, like, that sucks. He's giving them homework and he's making them do stuff. But looking at the other teachers, (laughs) as an adult, I really appreciate Mr. Ratburn's teaching style. Because, like, what are they learning in those other two classes? They're getting fat or they're just not doing anything. Mr. Mr. Ratburn, you can tell, is a guy who really loves teaching because he's trying to engage their minds early on. And yeah, it sucks for the kids, but like, get used to it. You're in school. If I was a parent, I would want my kids to be in Mr. Ratburn's class.
1: It's funny because it really exemplifies the uh, change in what you want as a student from elementary school to say high school, because in elementary school, your main priority is you want to do as little as possible. You want to learn as little as possible. That's still, uh, that's, that's still my priority. Uh, well, actually, and I should say that I, that's not for everybody. Some people really liked elementary sure. school, but uh, I remember it's like, okay, what days are we going to watch a movie? I want to watch a movie. I don't care about learning. I want to watch a movie, or, or in,
0: play, or play with blocks, or connect, yeah, read on our
1: own, sure. But in high school, I found that really frustrated a lot of students. A lot of students wanted the pure knowledge. You know, they wanted, okay, what's going to be on the test? What do I need to learn here? And they would get really, really angry. Uh, if his teacher was like, okay, we're going to watch this movie and they'd be like, why are we watching this movie? This is a waste of my time. Uh, I saw a lot of other students saw high school as more of a, you put the time in and you get that time out. Mm -hmm. And so whenever they perceived as a teacher wasting their time for fun, it really frustrated them because they wanted to do, you know, pure curriculum, uh, that's just something that I
0: observed. I don't know what kind of dream high school you went to. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, if you're going to put on a movie in high school, cool, man. Like, I'm not going to, like, if anything, I think that was an, that was perhaps even more of a time for me where I was just like, put on a movie. Sure, I don't care. It was when I got to university that I was just like, okay, we're watching movies every <laughs> week in this non-film class. Like, can we kind of figure out what we're doing here? But that's because you're I was it. paying for it. So – and maybe – and you know what? I imagine my parents would have probably thought the same thing of like, okay, you're watching movies every week in this class. We're paying for you to go to high school? like Our tax dollars, yeah. Yeah. So I really just wanted to highlight the fact there. It's like – and I think that's a the theme of Mr. Atburn's character is that he really does love teaching and school and, like, education. So I think that really comes across here. Uh, early on i want to uh, point out mm. he takes out a stopwatch
1: to time them for their test yes. there's a clock on the wall i don't know why he needs <laughs> to use the stopwatch but <laughs> he's
0: if- a, he's a very um he's a very fastidious person because later on in the episode he has an alarm he has a alarm on his watch to denote like when he's supposed to be somewhere so he seems to be very well and the th- and he's course- got a
1: digital watch with the stopwatch yeah. okay he's got a clock on the wall yet he still needs to he's got a lot of ways to
0: tell M- the time maybe maybe he's uh maybe he just wants it for the uh for the Image to know to know that the kids are being tracked. but he's also like well at the end of the episode it comes together of course that it's like uh, he's very, he's very scheduled. he's and of course I guess they're kind of putting that forward, uh, putting that theme forward early. Um, of course Mr. Ratburn is uh, you know a bit of a, a bit of a hard teacher because he's he, of course with the test and everything, uh, he's the type of teacher that will have his class leave in an orderly fashion in alphabetical order without talking. Which that's,
1: that's where he lost me. I was with you at first when he was making them take the intro two-minute test because I said that's actually really useful yes. to establish where everybody is at uh, curriculum-wise and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I hated having to wait in a line in elementary school. I hated not being able to talk in that line. And also, I think, like, the lineup alphabetically, I I don't know. That's where I started to be like, oh, Mr. Rappert is kind of a hard...
0: Well, yeah, and that's, and that's kind of what I wanted to... Um, In I, yeah, I totally get that in elementary school. That's just kind of like a a thing that like, if it's your part of your personal teaching style, like that's, I guess that's fine. Like I wouldn't necessarily, you know, ask just like, I would want the curriculum of a Mr. Ratburn, but maybe not, you know, the attitude of one, but maybe you can't get one without the other. So who's to say? Um, so Arthur and Buster playing baseball. Uh, great Buster line here. You might already have it. And it's I haven't just like, read it down as uh, well. So Arthur says, "Boy, Ratburn's tough. He gave us homework on the first day." And uh, Buster says, "Get with it, Arthur. We're not dealing with a human being here." To which I was like, "Yeah, he's a rat. We're not dealing with a human being here. This is serious." <laughs> so if they were dealing with the human. It'd be
1: blase, whatever, but because Mr. Hepburn is supernatural and also literally a rat.
0: Yeah, and to go back to your, like, of calling him a rat, it's just like, so what is, so... Oh, you're right. You can, like, you can get really trapped in this hole, and I, and I d- don't know if I want us to go down there just yet, but it's just like, so Buster makes references to the fact that human beings exist, but everybody is an animal, and then, of course, that leads you into the whole thing of why, are, why do these animals have pet animals, it's this whole thing about Arthur that really we don't yeah. have to get into right now, but I just thought that that line stood out to me now as being really weird. of just like, well, of course he's not. Of course you're not dealing with a human being. He's a rat. He's, he's you're all giant animals. You're all t- <laughs> giant talking animals. Can't Am I, be- I the only
1: one who's not crazy here? It's it's the it's Look, I'm the m-
0: crazy pills. It's, it's the Mickey
1: Goofy paradox where Mickey's got his dog Pluto, but he also yeah. has his best friend Goofy, who is also a dog, and it's. It's that whole thing where if you think about it a little bit too long, it all falls, it yeah. falls
0: apart. So they end up overhearing Mr. Rappern on the phone saying that he needs boys' heads. He, he's, he can wait for girls' heads, but he must have boys' heads right now. And Buster so,
1: has a great line, he'll see us and we have
0: boys' heads. Buster, quick to point out, they are indeed boys. To be fair, when you when you overhear that from basically anybody, like what are you supposed to think? And, I mean, Francine has kind of a a hand wave about it later, but really, boys' heads is not a term for anything that adults use. So they run off screaming. They run to Francine outside of the Sugar Bowl, which was not officially introduced yet, but it is a location of great significance. And uh, so they see Francine, and they're kind of talking with her, explaining what they heard. She says, you must have heard wrong.
1: Francine, the voice of reason in this episode. Well,
0: sort of. She says, vampires don't need heads. To which I was like, well, expert on vampires over here, Francine, Fransky. Maybe vampires need heads. Who are you to say? Are you a vampire? Well, Buster completely
1: puts the whole vampire argument to rest right after that because he goes... Uh, Ratburn is beyond
0: Beyond vampires. vampire, <laughs> which is the greatest thing I've ever heard because it's just like, I don't know. It's like to denote that something is scary, maybe even that's it's cool. It's just like it's beyond vampire. Yeah,
1: beyond Thunderdome, yeah. beyond vampires. Beyond
0: vampire, he's a Ratburn. <laughs> so it was around here that I noticed. Uh, so they begin to start kind of following Mr. Ratburn, see if he's doing anything untoward, see what his day is kind of made up of. I noticed that all of the kids tuck their sweaters in, and it bothers me, because you'll notice on their character models that you know they're they're pretty healthy kids. But I think, and it's kind of made mention of in a couple of Arthur episodes, that he's got a little bit of a little bit of a paunch to him, little bit of little bit of baby fat. Uh, nothing. He's not like he's not like a, a fat kid or anything. He's just a little a little
1: chubby, a little chubby. He'll eat. I, slices of cake gargantuan slices of cake whole
0: oh yes I, <laughs> I remember that well um, life goals and they tuck their they tuck their sweaters in and it kind of like like well I I tuck my shirts in for work and it kind of makes your your role is a bit more prominent. So they look they look a little bit roly in the in the midsection there. And it just kind of bothers me because it's like, well, when I was in elementary, I already knew that, like, tucking your shirt into your pants was not cool. Like, my sister told me that. See, I
1: didn't know that when I was in elementary. My mom just dressed me. Yeah. So if I was – I would tuck in a polo shirt if that's what she did in the morning or all the – Arthur kids they seem a little they're dressed a little business cash. Mm-hmm. Arthur's got his sweater with a collared shirt under. He's rocking kind of a, yeah. a kind of semi-formal look. Buster's wearing he's like a polo shirt, mm-hmm. right? So I think Well, it's
0: sort of a sweater and like a polo shirt with a like a collared shirt under. Whereas it's like yeah, these kids dress way better than I did in elementary school. Like I just dressed I just had a t-shirt on.
1: Even Binky head. who is a Yeah, he's
0: got he's got like a business a business uh, yeah. button up
1: green, uh, uh, orange, excuse me, button-up. Yeah. Uh, so none of the kids are just wearing a t-shirt, really, so... No, but it... I guess I... Which, again, is
0: weird to me because it's like you don't tuck sweaters in. You tuck in the shirts under the sweaters, but not the sweaters. I guess,
1: uh, it... I already made the logic leap to see all these kids dressed so formally that I said, oh, well, if they're dressed that formal, they might as well tuck in their shirts, too. I guess I never picked up on it. That's interesting. I
0: suppose so. Uh, So they follow him to certain places. He's going to the hardware store. He's uh, reading the newspaper in the teacher's lounge, which one of the teachers looks like one of the kids just modeled up to look like an adult. It's weird. One of those nameless ones that just is background filler. They watch him coaching a basketball game, and then Francine declares, "Just like he's just kind of a normal guy, and maybe he meant boy heads of lettuce." It's a great that line. might be that might be. It's probably the what they use to distinguish the rotten ones. That's like,
1: such a sick burn. Francine sneaks yeah. in. Yeah, it's pretty good. A couple of things I want to say about this sequence is mm. one before they decide to tail Mr. Ratburn, they have to make the decision uh, do we choose horrifying danger or extra homework? And after pondering it they go horrifying scary horrifying, danger. scary danger. Uh, the fear of homework is a common theme through both of these episodes.
0: It's probably also the yearning for adventure as a kid.
1: Also I want to just say this what's really cool about the sequence is it's almost like a little mini noir uh, <laughs> montage where they're tailing Mr. Ratburn, uh, and they're going to all these locations. This whole episode, even though it's kind of a horror theme with Mr. Ratburn being compared to a vampire, it's also got a cool mystery vibe and that's what I really mm-hmm. enjoyed about it.
0: Yeah, it kind of mingles, mingles genres that way. So they see Mr. Ratburn coming out and with his uh, box of what what have you and an arm sticks out of it and that's of course where you get the shot of Mr. Ratburn with his digital watch. So they follow him to the local carnival. Arthur says he went to the carnival and Buster says of course he went to the carnival look at all those boy heads and it's just like <laughs> i didn't pick up on that it? and it's like <laughs> What a, what a weird thing to overhear. It's just like, look at all those boy heads. It's like the grossest thing out of context. I mean... Again,
1: uh, very Cthulhu-esque. That, that kind of imagery, boy heads in multiples, uh, summons up.
0: You could just say heads. I think, if there was, I think if H.P. Lovecraft had written boy like Cthulhu hunted for boys' heads, it would be kind of like, what's he trying to say here? I don't get it. Uh, so they go into the carnival and uh, into several booths to try and find them. The first one... They enter on the wrong side of a uh, water shooting game and get themselves doused. Uh, then we get the beginning of what I assume to be a series long gag. Of they go into one that Mr. Haney is perched on a horse, and it's the beginning of the Mr. Haney, sorry sir, gag, where somebody will kind of something some some sort of act of physical comedy will happen to Mr. Haney, and the common punchline is one of the kids to say sorry sir. This simple scene uh,
1: made me have so many more questions that it did answer any of my questions. First of all, the Elwood City Carnival, uh, that becomes a backdrop that comes back again and again later on in the series. And it's like... The teachers are obviously involved with this carnival. So is it a school-run thing like a spring fair? Why is it going year-round? Who is funding this carnival? Are they able to just walk in and out without paying? I have so many questions because it's this huge, like, rent fair-looking thing where there's all these big, immaculate-colored tents. And also, Mr. Haney's got a live horse He's riding a live horse in this tent.
0: I took it to be a photo booth run by uh, Mrs. McGrady there, but you're right. I didn't think about the fact that there are a lot of teachers working at that one. So maybe it is some kind of school thing. Uh, I didn't consider that. So finally, they find the tent that Ratburn is in, and they end up on his stage for his puppet show. Now, I wanted to ask, when you were of Arthur viewing age, what were your thoughts on puppet shows?
1: So my mom, as I mentioned in our first episode, worked at the library. So mm. uh, back oh, then, yes. it would have been the, I think, Bedford Public Library. Mm. So she actually ran a puppet show that I think appeared on Eastlink TV or some local Ooh. access uh, Nova Scotia TV network. Yeah. They actually filmed their puppet show. There was a moose and there was a different character. <laughs> uh, so I thought very fun. And she would bring those puppets home sometimes. That's fun. So it wasn't necessarily these uh these marionettes, these are mm-hmm. kind of creepy that Mr. Ratburn uses, mm-hmm. but uh, actual hand puppets—I yeah. had a fondness for as a kid. Sure,
0: and I and I also loved going to the library and going to kids puppet shows. I thought they were uh, a lot of fun. I don't remember any like particularly. I just you know, it's it's a fun thing for a kid. But this this is one awesome puppet show. <laughs> I mean, th- the scale of the puppets that Ratburn is working on. First off, like his it's it's a Jack and the Beanstalk play where it's. Uh, Jack is kind of dressed like a modern kid. He's talking to a boombox. Yeah, he like, Soundwave. He's talking to Soundwave <laughs> from the Transformers. <laughs> First off, the puppet for Jack is as big as Arthur and Buster. He's 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 utilizing a like a five foot child basically, and then and then somehow with his radio puppet, he's got the greatest lip sync I've ever seen. I don't know how he does it because he's just using strings. So I got confused here. Is Mr. Rapper
1: voicing the radio puppet as well or is that a separate puppeteer? Because I think there's two people on the ledge and I was focusing really hard on trying to figure out – because he puts on – the voice actor who plays yes. Mr. Rapper, and he puts on all these voices to play the puppets and I was like, is the jukebox's voice actor the same as Mr. Rapper? I think, I
0: think the boombox is, is – I think you're right. I do remember now there was a second person so I'm going to say that was probably him. Uh, but yeah, uh, still, even with the work that uh, Mr. Ratburn's doing, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Like the, I mean, I guess it's a carnival worthy puppet show. And so, you know, part of the gag is, is that, you know, uh, Mr. Ratburn's puppet loses its head and then it goes to the back and, you know, accidentally chips. So he has to kind of do a quick little fix on his puppet and, uh, get back to the show. And that's kind of where Arthur and Buster get like, oh boy's heads, boy puppet heads. (laughs) And you know, Mr. Ratburn says, "I can never have enough boy heads." <laughs> it's true. He has
1: to make sure to leave us with that line.
0: Yeah, and then they kind of are able to understand Mr. Ratburn a little bit. They get a little conversation with him, uh, where you know he he you know again with the whole time thing, you know the stopwatch and the and the uh, digital watch. Just like uh, he's very he's to the second. He's very precise. He's a very precise individual. Must always be on time for what I do. And Arthur points out he does a lot. And They have that usual
1: suspects moment where at the end of the usual usual spo- suspects, excuse me, uh, spoiler warning if you haven't seen the usual suspects, but warning. he uh, looks around the room and then he realizes, oh, uh, Kevin Spacey was Kaiser Soze all uh-huh. along. So Arthur kind of puts together that, oh, when they were tailing Mr. Rapper and they saw he was coaching at this thing, they saw he was uh, doing all these different activities, Mr. Rapper must be really good at
0: time management. That's the big twist. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I, I think reaching for the usual suspects was, a, well, a, just that, a little bit of a reach. Like, I f- I f- I'm following you, but... Uh, I'm saying you can see the, the I, I pistons do. firing I, in I, Arthur's brain. I He's do. putting it together. I do. But if I didn't, I don't know if that would have been the best <laughs> representation. But okay, fair enough. Um, yes, so he does do a lot and kind of imparts to them the fact of that you need good time management in order to do the things that you like while you know doing the things you also need to do in arthur's in arthur and buster's case it would be schoolwork uh juggled with you know the general stuff you need to do in life and uh the fun stuff you like to do and you know he promises that he will help them do that which is again another great thing to teach kids of like time management is something that even a lot of adults can't do right like i still have trouble managing my time uh between the stuff I need to do and stuff I want to do. A lot of times the stuff I want to do outweighs the stuff I need to do. So to learn that early I think is a great habit uh, to be taught.
1: My dad's job uh, for a while there was literally companies would hire him to teach time management classes Yes, to, as like a group for like a weekend or something. It's like, okay, this is how you manage with your email. So it very much is something that adults still struggle with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Arthur's got this great line. Uh, he says – he can barely find time to do homework and eat, yeah. and I, I reason with that a lot. Like, uh, I really empathize with Arthur there. When I get home from work, the last thing I want to do is put a meal
0: together. Oh, you're not <laughs> even kidding! <huh? laughs> and I have the rest of the afternoon. It's just like, oh man, I have to make food. This is the worst. <laughs> so of course, the episode the episode ends with them gaining a better understanding of Mr. Ratburn, but still kind of leaving on the note that he is a tough teacher. Uh, you know, can't wait to see your geography projects tomorrow. And the last note I wanted to make about this part of the episode is that we talked about Francine last week. And you uh, made the argument that she's a more well-rounded character than perhaps people like me gave gave her credit for. And I, and I think I agree with you on that. And another example of a well-rounded character in the show is Mr. Ratburn and very true to life of just – as the show goes on, I think he gets a lot more quirky and maybe even a little, like, flanderized in the sense of, like, his quirky stuff is kind of overplayed. But here in the early, you kind of see he's he's uh, he's a normal dude. Like, he loves, as I said, loves education. He loves his job. But he's also got other interests. He's, you know, a coach on the s- school basketball team. You know, he's got his own interests, like puppeteering. And he's just a, well, he, like, he's a real, real person.
1: I think that's in my opinion, probably my favorite thing about Arthur going back and watching these episodes so far and we're going to talk about it a little bit in the next episode Mm -hmm. but what this show is fantastic at is it uses... Uh, Moments really wisely to show us little details about all of the side characters. Uh And so over the course of the show it'd be so easy to focus every single episode on Arthur but not only is there episodes about all the different characters focused on them every time we see a snapshot of another character's life even if it's only for a couple of seconds it always teaches us something about that character's personality or living situation or something that we didn't quite know before. So this episode's really good at giving us a bigger picture of Mr. Rapper and it really is his introduction but in some cases like in the next episode uh, we start to get to know all these characters a little bit more bit by bit.
0: Well, and to your point, in even in just a couple seconds, in the scene where they're tailing him through the basketball game, you can see that Brain is a basketball player on the school team. So there you go. That's something you didn't know before. But yeah, good point, and uh, I mean, we'll talk about it near the end of the episode, but I really I really enjoyed that one. It was kind of set the stage very well. Uh, just a couple notes for the And Now A Word From Us Kids segment.
1: I didn't see it this time. Oh, you did The didn't? video, okay. I, I was scrounging the internet, Uh Shh, don't tell the NSA that for this video. Uh, and I couldn't find one that had the word "for us kids" segment included. So I'm excited to hear what happened.
0: Okay, well, uh, well, first off, I will mention, of course, that if you're uh, trying to follow along with us, episode to episode, uh, Arthur is usually pretty easy to find on YouTube or by a Google search. Uh, and whether or not it's the you know has every all the trappings of an Arthur episode is one thing. So I I, I want to say it's pretty easy to find both halves of the whole. Uh, this one was about you know a school class that had, you know, a teacher that seems mean on the outside, but then, you know, they got to know her and, you know, she's actually very, uh, very nice and uh, interesting. Uh, I thought it was neat because my mom herself is still a teacher at the college level. And she also has a reputation as the intimidating teacher. It's not that she's mean or scary, but she, at the beginning of the school year, like she's very intimidating to her new students. And then as the year goes on, Uh, they kind of see her soften a little bit. And it's kind of a yearly kind of process that she goes through. And I thought it was very interesting to see the kids' version of that. And, of course, we probably had our own scary teachers. And that was also something I wanted to mention about uh, Ratburn's teaching style is that I found that the most effective – some of the most effective teachers in my elementary, junior, high school experience were the ones that I was kind of intimidated by and that eventually you to kind of got to see softened. It's a great relationship that kids can have with teachers. As you start off not knowing anything about each other, and then over the course of a school year, you really get to a better understanding. Like my grade 7 teacher, Mr. Stone, was a real Mr. Ratburn type. He was, he was
1: literally tough as stone.
0: Yes, and uh, but by the end of it, you know, he was just kind of this quirky guy who uh, you know could be funny. And but also, you know, very serious. And he like I look back at him as like one of my favorite teachers that I've ever had. So very much in the rapper and since. Uh the only other point I wanted to make about this is that, you know, they're talking about their teacher and, you know, she seems like a very nice lady. These kids know a lot about her like personal life. It, <laughs> and I like I don't mean anything untoward. just like when they're asking her like what she likes, the, the interviewers asking the kids what you know she likes. It's just like she likes like spicy food. Uh, She likes to wear purple. She likes to go yard sailing. And it's just like, I felt like I was reading her Tinder profile. (laughs) Like, yeah. Okay. Cupid.
1: I like spicy food. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so interesting that the kids, I wonder, I, this makes me wonder about the production element again. I really want to hear from someone who was on the, now a word from us kids. Like, did they feed them these lines about the teacher or did they, the kids themselves come up with them? Like she wears purple. That's obvious. They see the teacher every day. She might wear a lot of purple. When did her yard sailing come up in conversation? I don't know.
0: But uh, I feel like from the way that the kids kind of react, I think it's, Probably they are asked very specific questions and then they kind of are answered, which is a good way to to ask kids or really anybody an interview subject for this kind of thing of just like you know asking her do you think she's do you think she's grouchy? Uh, what kind of things does she like to do and then the kids can answer very directly back to the interviewer and they is very cute again, you know, uh, word from us kids very very cute segment. Second episode or second part of the episode, I should say, I'm never sure exactly how to refer to that, is uh, Arthur's Spelling Trouble, which you'll note right away is spelled uh, T-R-U-B-B-L-E. See, this, and we're going to get into
1: this this whole episode, but Mm -hmm. I didn't even pick up on that. And the reason for that is I'm dyslexic. I have dyslexia.
0: I was going to say, because I have, I think, a completely different view uh, from that, and I was wondering if it was okay to kind of talk about uh, the fact that you do indeed still have dyslexia.
1: Yeah, no problem. And it's interesting because this whole episode, it centers around a spelling bee. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of spelling in the episode. And I kind of tried to test myself whenever Arthur says a lot of words out loud and then he tries to spell that word immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. And, like, he does it really quickly. And I try to do it at the same pace as him. And sometimes I was getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. It's, for me, uh, personally, spelling's hard. Uh, My dyslexia, uh, I can read fine. Mm -hmm. It's writing that gets difficult. I have to remember B is a bump and D is a duff, which here means you have to picture them like body parts, like B's got a belly and D's got a a butt. So that's, I have a pretty mild dyslexia, all things considered. I can still read pretty well, but I, I do have trouble memorizing how to spell words.
0: I don't know if I would have guessed if you hadn't have told me that you had dyslexia because, you know, in all of our, like, Text interactions. There's never been anything that's kind of made me made me go like, hmm. And of course, like I've met worse sp- spellers, text users than you who don't have dyslexia. Why, spell I'm check's saying. my friend. Yes, absolutely, and mine too. Like, <laughs> the, like we'll get into it, but mine too. Um, so Arthur is at some sort of performance behind the curtain, and he asks. Uh, Do you think everybody gets nervous before they do something that's really important to them? There's a little bit of a flashback where Arthur is Benjamin Franklin, and I don't remember, I think, is it Mary Franklin that was his wife's name? Uh, I'm not entirely certain. uh, Francine is, is his wife. And I thought... For the longest time, like I realize now, this is Arthur's imagination. I thought this was him flashing back to a play they would have done, where he was Benjamin Franklin. And I remember thinking as a kid, like, why would you do that lightning effect in a play to, I was like, just gonna a, ask, to like a seven-year-old kid that would that could have killed him? Shoot lightning!
1: Yeah, I was gonna shoot I was gonna lightning. ask you because um, if it was a play, that lightning effect—that's some good CGI mm-hmm. they got going on in that play.
0: <laughs> no, it's that uh, definitely seems to be Arthur's imagination.
1: Because we don't know a lot, We're Canadian, right? Yes. So we're not as familiar with American history American as history. Americans. So when you were a kid, did you know the story of Benjamin Franklin and the kite with the lightning?
0: I think TV had taught me enough of just like Benjamin Franklin was the guy who discovered electricity because he had the kite with the key on it and it struck him and then now we have electricity. And to be honest, that's all I understand See, right now. Except, that's all except I know Benjamin too? Franklin is on one of the United States banknotes.
1: That's all I know as well. Well, I know about the Declaration of Independence and some of that stuff. But you know the, the, the the literal story of him discovering electricity, mm-hmm. the only reason I know that is probably from Arthur. <laughs> uh, this very scene, it's such a weird non sequitur too because yeah. he's trying to say at the start – does everybody get nervous before they do something? And it's not a really good example. Like it doesn't. It's not a really one to one metaphor. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin. I don't think he really knew what he was doing when he was trying to capture that lightning on the key. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, of course you'd be nervous. It's lightning. I, I don't know. I thought it was so weird. It was cool. It was funny.
0: I see. I no. I see what you're. I see what you're saying. And I and I definitely think there could have been a better explanation. But maybe that's just all he had, kind of in his head. Uh, so, we get into the episode, and it's all about the all-school spell-thon. I just want to note, real quick here, and it's because it's a the theme of the whole episode, the animation in this part is great. Like, I kept noticing it, and, uh, it's hard for me to describe animation, because I'm not an illustrator, I'm not an animator, I don't even really think in images very well. You know good animation when you see it. Throughout this whole thing, it was so it was so detailed, the... The characters were expressive. They really flowed well. And so I just really wanted to put that out there. And the last episode as well. I don't want to come down on that or anything. But the last episode, very good. This one, I think especially, was is the best animated episode I've seen so far.
1: I would tend to agree.
0: Um... So so that's what the whole thing is about this episode is, is that uh, Arthur is going to be somehow involved in this all-school fun.
1: Good timing, too, because the real National Spelling Bee just took place. Oh, really? Uh, I know this because there's a vine going around of all the kids in the National Spelling Bee hitting the dab after they <laughs> spell their word correctly it's fantastic <laughs> all these 8 year olds and 11 year olds just spelling a word and being stoked about it you're going to hit
0: you're going to have to you're going to have to link me to that one in in the sense that you 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 were saying yourself like you learned like Benjamin Franklin from Arthur i was thinking back to it and i am a little bit of the opposite of you and of course i don't mean that on any you know superiority sense but in school at a young age, like I learned to read at a very young at a very young age and I loved to read. And I was a really good speller as well. That was like one of my big time strengths, is that I was I was very good at spelling words. And I think part of it may have had to do with this Arthur with this Arthur episode, because it was around would have been when I was around six or seven that we really started to do like spelling tests and stuff. And I really held that as a point of pride for myself at a young age. And it was kind of Arthur that I think at least partially inspired me to like uh you know help me recognize words like even to this day i kind of mentioned last week that you know i used to be able to memorize arthur episodes like word for word and a lot of that has left my head but some of it also never leaves so when we're talking about certain lines and stuff or I'm watching the episode, like I remember exactly the tone of voice that Arthur will use j- just from years of having it, like 20 years of having it in my head.
1: The one thing about this episode that has burned into my brain, and we're going to get to it in a second, is Arthur's Aardvark
0: song. So everybody is uh, inspired to study for the spelling test because the winner will get a special surprise, says Mr. Ratburn, and the kids may think, uh, maybe it means less homework for the rest of the year, which Buster just picks out of the ether and is just like, maybe it's that. Yeah, maybe he could give you $1,000,000. a million dollars. A good
1: through line is Buster is the one who is most worried about homework in both of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got it always at the forefront of his mind.
0: But, in the, but, in a sense, he's also the least worried, and we'll and we'll get yeah. to the way that people study right now. so we start off with the brain who is this is kind of his first little bit of characterization this episode we learned that he is the brain uh even referred to as adults as the brain so of course you realize what his role in the whole thing is so he is going through the dictionary and he is stumped with the word anti-disestablishmentarianism which of course as a kid is the first and perhaps the only place you're going to hear anti-disestablishmentarianism so i took the liberty of looking up the definition to anti-disestablishmentarianism uh it was a political position in 19th century britain that was against the disestablishment of the Church of England because oh. there's a lot because there's a lot of negative parts of that word anti dis, <laughs> so it's just like you're not really sure what it could be.
1: You don't think it's a double. You think as a kid like, oh, it's a double negative. It's actually a good thing because yeah. the <laughs>
0: anti and the dis cancel each other out. Sure, but it, it's like I don't, well, I
1: don't it's know. It's like Lutherism, huh? Yeah, well, yeah.
0: I think that's it's not kind of what
1: the, I was gonna guess. So that's no, I
0: actually thought it was a real was a word, not like a a, a term. Uh, so, you know, Brain's dad suggests maybe you should skip down to Antidote. (laughs) Then we go to Muffy, who's using a computer program to spell D-O-G, dog. And then it gives her lavish praise. Muffy, you're a genius.
1: Yeah. Arthur, I don't know if it was either playing off war games or if uh, Arthur... The writers were sort of soothsayers, and they predicted Siri. But it was interesting to see Muffy's really old-looking, like, Apple II-looking computer talk back to her.
0: I think it was – I think uh, sort of speech simulators in computers were kind of a novelty at the time and right now are kind of – have evolved to Siri-type lengths. And then, of course, Buster gets the idea for A Lucky Charm, so he's good. Like, he could. he's just doing the, doing the dab himself and just like, <laughs> I got this. No more no more work to be done. Lucky Charm is going to take me through.
1: So looking back on this montage, it plays into what I was talking about earlier, where this could have just been uh, three shots of three characters looking at dictionaries yep. to study. But the writers took the opportunity to show us little details about each character. Brain's got a good relationship with his dad, and he's already pretty smart, and he pushes himself yep. as hard as he possibly can. Muffy's um, assisted by technology because she is very rich, so mm-hmm. her dad could afford a expensive computer. Yes. And she also enjoys the self-praise almost. It's kind of like self-praise because it's a computer telling her sure. how great she is. And then there's a really great small detail with Buster before he decides to use the Lucky Charm. Uh, He's reading upside down, Mm -hmm. and it's just showing that's another quirky element of Buster's personality. Of course Buster would be reading upside down.
0: Yeah. I think think it's more to try and engage himself because as we go along the series, Buster has a bit of trouble. Uh, Perhaps perhaps, uh, his own kind of learning disability. I wouldn't want to necessarily put forth anything concrete about that, but just his own difficulty with reading and kind of retaining information. Uh, so that's kind of how he tries to engage himself and then realizes he doesn't have to. He's got the lucky charm. And I I, I actually I forgot about Francine, who uses her uh, her movie star glasses from the that's last right. episode. Great to, continuity. To really concentrate while she's doing her studying. So Arthur's doing his own studying. And he's uh, – speaking of bars with uh, Mrs., uh, Mrs. Fink, Arthur's trying to throw down some sick rhymes himself. Uh, so he walks around his dad, which – his dad is creating. Of course, Arthur's dad is a caterer. He's a cake boss. He's a, something like that. Yeah, and he's uh, creating some sort of muscle man out of clay, and my and like he's in his he's in his apron. And I'm just wondering: is this for a gig or is this for fun? Like, I, I just wonder. Arthur's dad, big Ico Pro fan. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he was into the uh, the the World Bodybuilding Federation. So and which is which is all good. It's just kind of uh, interesting to see that part of his personality. So of course Arthur's rhyme that he comes up with with his with his beat back with his beat backing is a uh, a r d v a r k, which is the first usually the first word in the English dictionary. Ardvark. He just can't seem to move past that one. He's it's just all a a r d v a r k, and of course he's getting that down. Perfectly. He remembers that perfectly. But uh, he doesn't really seem to move on to any other words.
1: I don't blame him because that one little rhyme, the one little song he does to memorize it, the A-A-R-D-V-A-R-K, that rhythm is burned into my skull immediately immediately. The nostalgia came flooding back. I had completely forgot about this entire episode, this whole storyline. But the one thing that I had retained, very similar, similar to uh, the image of Mr. Rapper and Eating the Nails, was that song, the A-A-R-D-V-A-R-K. There's sort of a Pavlovian
0: response. Yes, absolutely. And I can never forget how to, how to spell Aardvark. Arthur takes it to the treehouse. Uh, he gets interrupted by D.W., who thought he had ants in his pants. Which artwork, haha, and then he gets interrupted by Buster, who kind uh, of kind of grifts him out of doing his, uh, doing his studying. He just kind of just kind of uses his charisma skill to uh, convince Arthur to uh, come play at the arcade. Which, hey, if you were asking me, you wouldn't have to ask twice. But uh, Arthur wants to try and take this seriously. Buster's not really too into it. And you know, face it, pal. Some people are born spellers. You're more the go have fun type.
1: It's like a see some old... of these.
0: Some of these I don't even have to write down because I just re- totally remember.
1: Buster, a bad influence. This whole episode, a
0: little bit, yeah. And it's, uh, but it's definitely not him trying to like get him to be bad. It's just that I think Buster. Well, Buster and Arthur are great friends, and he would much rather have fun with friends. Buster would than kind of be by himself. So. More of just wants to wants to have fun. He comes by it a bit more innocently, I think. Especially
1: because the arcade got some new games too, which Buster describes as a plane game that flips you upside down. Yeah. Some kind of insane hydraulic VR setup at this arcade. Right.
0: So they get to they get to the fateful day. A lot of the kids kind of fail out of the uh, spelling test, despite their best efforts. Uh, Arthur, is, you know, rolling a uh, natural twenty for luck. Uh, gets himself aardvark as his word and just is able to wrap it, wrap it out. And then finally comes out Arthur and the Brain are the winners and their prizes that they get to represent the school the class in the all-school spell thought, which Arthur is not at all keen about because he feels like he kind of fell backwards into this win, which he did in in, in, probable, in a real cartoon way. But then, of course, we get another example of Mr. Ratburn being the kind of teacher I would want teaching my kids, He's awesome. This is the prototypical like awesome teacher from the adults' perspective because you know he assures him that Arthur did earn his place, but you know upon Arthur you know revealing that he didn't really do much studying, you know he you know he parts him on the fact that he's like it's going to take a lot of study, but if you really work at it, I believe you can do it, and you can see how how much that affects Arthur later on. Just like Mister Ratburn believes I can do it, and it's just like. How you forget how much kids need somebody to believe in them that they can do it, and you know, it's just like Mr. Ratburn, for all his kind of rough around the edges qualities as a teacher, is really the person that you would want. Because he will help to kind of ins- put light that fire under your kids.
1: It's hard to imagine Mrs. Fink giving a, say, uh, a similar motivational speech. I would be surprised those kids learn basic
0: math skills. <laughs> Mrs. Fink. So Arthur uh, Arthur doubles down on his uh, studying, and his parents vow to help him as m- best they can. Uh, DW kind of spies on him, trying uh, spelling elephant. Arthur's mom <laughs> has, has this great exchange with DW. Uh, she says, "How about some ice cream?" D.W. says, "Are you bribing me?" <laughs> "Yes." "Okay." It's just like, well, yeah. If an adult's offering you a three, a four-year-old an ice cream, then uh, just uh, take
1: the money and run. D.W. had some fantastic lines this episode, and all in pretty quick succession too. Uh, at the dinner table, Arthur is showing off his spelling skills, and I think he spells "ardvark." And D.W. aptly says, "Only ninety-two more than you know now to go." Uh, <laughs> So, D.W., uh, Arthur and D.W.'s mom
0: quickly scolds her and says, D.W., give him a break. She really shows off her intelligence, uh, which we kind of alluded to in last episode here. So, Arthur's studying up the treehouse, and this was kind of a, uh, this was a, you know, Arthur's showing his seriousness to commitment. Buster comes to tempt him again by going to the arcade, and he says, I have to study S-O-R-R-Y, To which Buster says, sour? <laughs> Oi, jeez! Oh man, this Buster, this Buster kid's got a long way to go.
1: He's got to return that luck charm because it's not helping him
0: here. <laughs> no, certainly not. So uh, we get a bit of a montage of Arthur continuing to study. I noted that in the dictionary that Arthur's reading when Francine and Buster come to uh, see if he w- wants to play some football, whatever it is. One of the one of the words is Abbey Road. Which really? must have been a Beatles fan on the writing team, or the illust- or or one of the illustrators was a was a because I don't think that you're going to look into the English dictionary and see you know the Beatles' seminal Abbey Road album.
1: Uh, the thing I noticed was that dictionary actually only contained four words, and the rest were squiggles, which is a common thing in Arthur. <laughs> yeah. The they'll usually draw books, or whenever Arthur's looking at a piece of paper, or usually homework, they just save time, and I, understandably they just make lines on the page and this sort of became an inside joke amongst me and my friends back in elementary school when arthur was big we'd be like we'd call it arthur writing and we'd like (laughs) pass each other notes that were just lines
0: (laughs) yes okay yeah and like yeah sort of
1: role play as arthur
0: characters i know exactly what you mean yeah how they'll just kind of write and it's just like squiggles uh, okay, couple good DW lines here during this. Um, Buster and Francine come to the door, ask if Arthur can play some football. DW says, uh, sorry, he can't come up to play. He's exercising his brain. But I'm available. I'm not a prisoner of my vocabulary. Such a good line. This is where I learned the word vocabulary. That's how I learned it.
1: And how old is DW supposed to be?
0: I think she's four. I, I definitely did not know what vocabulary meant when I was four. Right. <laughs> and then uh, Arthur's brushing his teeth, and DW asks him if he can spell toothpaste, uh, to which <laughs> Arthur correctly spells it, and then he says toothpaste, right? And then DW says, how should I know? Such a great line. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: and what I like about this is it gives us another little snapshot of Arthur and DW's relationship. Mm-hmm. DW will sometimes get on Arthur's nerves, but it's mostly playful, uh, and I, my age gap between my sister was extremely similar to Arthur and D.W.'s. I was 4 years older than Arthur and D.W. Mm-hmm. I mean than my sister. Right. So, uh it's very similar how I was the older brother, my little sister was the little sister and we got each other's nerves sometimes, but there you could tell how Arthur and D.W. do care about each other. Yeah. And D.W. sort of grinds his gears. She's trying to help him, uh, but it's just not very
0: helpful in her in her own little way. Um and then it, we we actually get a, a interaction between Arthur and Baby Kate uh, when Kate is uh, eating in her high chair and Arthur's uh, studying in the kitchen and she she looks like what looks like to be a Cheeto in her in her hand but I don't know what it could be and she just says Gluba <laughs> and Arthur spells Gluba G L O O B A which is which by the way is a perfect way to spell Gluba unless it's G L U with an umlaut B A but yes Gluba. And, uh, I guess that s- a
1: real, I'm assuming that's not a real no, word and that's the joke, but no. do we even, did we try to Google it? We, is there an urban dictionary Gluba?
0: We did not actually. <laughs> uh, well, well, I'm going to have to take a look at that. So Gluba, I'm going to have to check that out and get back to you, put in the notes for the next episode. Yeah. So Gluba, and I got to say baby Kate's adorable. Like she's one of my favorite baby characters in, in cartoons just because she is a baby. And yeah, she just, just makes baby noises, and really, they're stock baby noises. Like you will hear them everywhere once you hear them out of Baby Kate's mouth. But and then, of course, later in the series, she talks, and maybe we'll get to that at some point. But uh, yeah, she's 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 so adorable, and I and I just love this little moment uh, there. It's just uh, very cute. So Arthur has done all the studying he can do. He's got his uh, his standard uh, suit get up, kind of the blue suit with with the lavender tie bow tie. And uh, we get a little little sneak peek of Grandma Thor here, who, right? Who, Grandma Thor. Who we'll get into it in a little bit. Who's also a... so Arthur's backstage preparing for the spellathon. There's going to be a couple other kids from presumably Mrs. Sweetwater and Miss and or somebody else's class because it seems to be intergrade because Prunella is in the competition as well. Uh, she's in the fourth grade. Um, so Mr. Ratburn asks them, "How do you feel?" And Brain says he feels fine. And Arthur kind of mutters, "I wish I were back in bed," which is like <laughs> same. Like, me too, man. Was DW
1: it? fits in a great line here, uh, while he's behind the curtain getting ready to go, where she says, if you lose, I bet mom and dad will let you live in the garage. As if to say, <laughs> don't worry, Arthur, they're not going to completely disown you. You'll just have to live in the garage.
0: Yeah, it's it taps into that childhood fear of disownment from from parents for whatever reason, which is, of course, completely unfounded. Um, Prunella then says they're going to light the spell torch, and... I can't believe that like they felt that this spellathon was enough to warrant open flame within a kids elementary school. I feel like the fire marshals could not have been present at
1: the Elwood City Elementary because School. Because it's a
0: flame they keep burning throughout the whole thing. <laughs> And is it like the
1: Olympic torch where the spelling bee torch never stops burning? Did they have to bring it, and then they they lighted that? It just seems like a hazard.
0: Yeah, like it like it seems like a kind of ceremony. Especially in like, this like gym,
1: like a lot if, of wooden floors. Like if you
0: just put if you just put like a fan underneath like a bunch of red crepe paper, like you get the same <laughs> effect. Like you don't need to like potentially light the curtains on fire here. It's like. Um, so the first word goes to the brain, who now seems to be quite a bit visibly nervous. And uh, have you ever seen uh, the movie Eight Mile? Oh, no, not for a very long time. Okay, so when Brain was kind of blanking, and of course he uh, spelled fear wrong, I immediately flashed back to Eight Mile and was just going, Choke! 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 Like Brain just uh, got dissed by B-Rabbit in a, in, a, in a battle rap. Our first word goes to... The brain. Spell fear. Brain. Brain. Spell fear. Fear. F E R E. Fear. I'm sorry. That's incorrect. So he gets off the stage, thoroughly embarrassed. Uh, uh, he
1: though he gets one in one line where he says,
0: uh, "I wasn't wrong." You're just using an incorrect dictionary. He's spelling fear, F-E-R-E. So uh, the spell thong continues, and it eventually comes down to Arthur and Prunella. And Prunella, of course, is, is very much a pride cometh before the fall. You know, uh, spell the word champion. That's so easy. I see it every day when I wake up to see my medal from last year.
1: It's like, okay, Prunella. Uh, enough with the editorializing.
0: Just spell the word. Yeah, <laughs> and so Arthur's really the plucky underdog who's really c- coming up against the haughty Prunella, and uh, Prunella eventually gets caught on the word preparation, which is a tough word. And this is how and this is how I remembered that it's uh, preparation is two a's, not two e's. Uh, just the P R E P A R A T I O N, and that's how I would keep that in mind. In school. And
1: see, I was just there trying to think how to spell
0: preparation. I got it wrong, <laughs> so no problem, no no judgment here. And so Arthur does get it right uh, after Prunella unfortunately gets it wrong, and he is the spellathon champion. And the trophy that they give him is as big as him. <laughs> It is a child-sized trophy. I can only assume it's solid. Like he could bar- like barely lift it. Like he he hoofs it off the ground, but it's like threatening to tip him over. It's
1: to say, now you've perfected your brain, time to work on your brawn, lift this trophy a couple times. I guess so. Become the perfect human specimen.
0: And so the episode ends with, of course, Arthur celebrating his victory with his family, and there's a couple great lines in here that, uh, I mean, are a little funny, but I also think are just very true to life. Buster's celebrating uh, Arthur's win with him, and Arthur says, you know what the best part of winning is? It's over. (laughs) And it's like, you know what? As you get older, that becomes... So true of like when you work hard towards a goal, be it like trying to win something or just trying to get something done. The best feeling is when it's over, when you have like a big day or you have like a big thing that you're supposed to do. Like when I was editing the first episode, I was just like, I just wanted to get to the end. I wanted to get the finished product. I like just, and it, and it took a couple hours and then, you know what the best part of it was? It's over. It's over.
1: Sometimes it's hard when you're working hard on something that you really want to do. Uh, You so want to give up in the moment, but then in retrospect, when you look back upon it, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I went through that. I remember as a kid, I submitted a lot of movies with my friends to the Atlantic Film Festival, the kids one, because oh. you could enter movies. I think it was called Viewfinders was yes, the kids Yes, Viewfinders. Uh, a lot of fun. And we made a lot of movies. And I remember there was one time we were shooting in the winter and I was wearing sneakers and my feet were freezing. And at the time, I was like, oh, I'd like want to get this over with so bad. Now looking back whenever I watch that like VHS tape, I'm like I'm so glad we stuck it out and put it together. So Did you
0: ever get one interview finders?
1: Uh, we did. We we didn't win, but we did make it into the top 10 there? and it was that movie that we shot in the snow,
0: so. I would love to see that. I I loved going to Viewfinders when I was younger. Uh, And then, of course, the line that ends the episode is Mr. Ratburn coming up to Arthur saying, congratulations, I knew you could do it. And then one that DW says that I actually didn't really totally understand until I was older. And she says, yeah, but now he knows he can do it. And it's a a real, like, it's a real, like, truth bomb that just kind of lays in your head until one day it explodes and you get it of just, like, it does mean something that somebody else believed in him but what mattered the most was that Arthur knew he believed could do it. in himself he had this he had the confidence and it's just like well yeah that's that's the key to everything It's like you can have everybody believing in you but if you don't believe in it yourself then it's not gonna mean as much and then that's exact, that's the point of the whole episode and I think it's a great lesson to teach So that's the end of the both of the episodes uh, what did you think
1: overall? Uh, I really liked both episodes. Yes. Uh, I kind of liked the first episode that we watched uh, more as a whole, yeah. not in the show, but this episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it was called. Geez, Uh, what was the Mr. Rappern episode called?
0: Arthur and the Real Mr. Rappern.
1: So, Arthur and the Real Mr. Rappern. I liked the whole episode because it kind of had a horror motif.
0: Uh,
1: I liked the mystery of it, them tailing Mr. Rappern. And I also liked the moral of that one. The Spelling Bee episode I thought was good as well. I really like the final set piece at the Spelling Bee. There's great rising action where, you know, Pernella is sort of the Apollo to Arthur's Rocky.
0: Uh, and I think that's very whole, it's, it's very wrestling it's very wrestling that whole in bit a, in a real real basic way
1: uh, that whole bit is really well put together like the crowd noise is great and there's a lot of great little moments uh, but I think I liked the Mister Rappern episode more. Maybe just because I'm a diehard Mister Rappern fan. Fair
0: enough. I don't think it's uh, it's you know you, you can't really pick wrong with either of these. But going back through them and talking through them, I think I really like the second episode a bit more. Just kind of uh, both based on personal importance and like the you know I'm really thinking about it and reading it back. Just like the. The morals of that episode, I think, are, in, in, the, in the fact that they're not even really so much morals, they're something that kind of sticks with you and works for both kids and adults. Like, it worked for me. Like, you know, hearing the line, yeah, but now he knows you can do it, like, kind of spoke to me even as an adult. It's something that's so easy to forget. But both episodes, fantastic, and I really think this is a very strong episode. Stronger than, I think, per, like probably the first one. Like, don't get me wrong, we, we neither of us really had any problems with the first pair of episodes, but this this one I think is particularly strong, and I think when it all comes down to it, we'll probably stand up among the greatest of them. So there you have it, uh, Arthur and the Real Mr. Ratburn and Arthur's Spelling Trouble. Thank you very much for listening to Elwood City Limits. Uh, we continue on as a podcast. We are you know still trying to gain some steam, but thank you very much for listening. Remember, you can leave comments, criticism, feedback, anything that you would like over to uh, Elwood City Limits at gmail.com, which is the official email of the show. Lucas, any other thoughts you want to leave us with before we uh, say goodbye? Having fun isn't hard when you got a library card. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, for Lucas Mancini, my name is Will Young. Thank you for listening to Episode 2 of Elwood City Limits, and we'll catch you next time.